0: All right, welcome to another podcast of White Collar Crimes, the podcast where we show you the only color that truly matters in our criminal justice system is green. I'm the host, Ryan Horn. Great to have you aboard as always. Hope you're doing well where you're at. Some very beautiful fall weather of late in my area. Um, Even gotten a little bit of uh, rain that was very much needed. The Mississippi River is probably about an hour or so from where I'm at. And it was supposedly going to be at its second lowest recorded level ever here soon because of the drought that we've had here in the Midwest. So glad to see that's uh, getting some relief on that. Prayers go out to the folks in South Korea. So I think last I saw up to about 151 people trampled to death in a Halloween gathering of some type and uh, also, prayers, as you know, I've said before, my wife is originally from the Philippines, and her uh, hometown, Zamboanga City, is experiencing a lot of flooding. People she knows personally has been affected by that, so prayers going out to that as well. So again, thanks for being aboard. You know, in the next case, so I can remember well when it happened, and or at least part of what happened on it, which very much angered me and a lot of other people at the time. But... You might remember a man by the name of Mark Rich, some of you that are my age and older. You know, you're Gen X. Certainly you remember how he was pardoned, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But he was a fugitive that, through money and power and influence, was able to uh, buy a presidential pardon from then-president Bill Clinton. Now, Mr. Rich was actually born in Belgium, uh, born as Mark Reich. He was born in a Jewish family in Belgium, and as a teenager, he was already showing an aptitude for business, which, you know, we've covered a lot of them on this podcast that, that do that, and he was certainly no different, and as a teenager, he, you know, showed some good business skill and acumen, and, you know, a lot of them do that, and it's sad that they, you know, a lot of them have the necessary skills to make a very good, legitimate you know, wealthy living for themselves and their families, but, you know, for through greed and always wanting more, you know, they end up committing crimes and, you know, losing their freedom and reputation and everything else. Well, again, he showed that skill at a young age as a teenager, and as he grew up, he got, you know, involved in the financial and business world, and he began to specialize in metals and and raw materials, you know, usually pretty good investments to be involved in and uh he would go on to also work with uh philip brothers which was an oil trading company again you know good business to be in a lot of money in that and uh he went to work for them and for a while he uh was doing quite well and by the 1970s he expanded quite a bit more into oil not just from uh raw materials or metals or anything like that but he was uh Expanding into the oil business and doing quite well at it. And uh, he would also, you know, even brag later about some of the illegal oil deals and things that he had been doing. Because he did illegal oil business with a lot of Middle Eastern dictators, you know, that we had embargoes against in the 70s and 80s and times like this. And had even done business with such dictators as communist Cuban dictator Fidel Castro did business with this guy as well so he wasn't uh probably real choosy on whom he did business with as long as he could uh make a pretty good buck he was pretty much okay with that and he wasn't okay with just making money in oil or raw materials or metals or anything like that he expanded into real estate you know which that's a good business to be in as well Um, a lot of overhead um i have a friend that you know it's made pretty good money in that but you know over time some of the overhead costs and things forced her to kind of step back a little sell a lot of her properties and kind of you know move and expand into other things but you know we certainly know there is money to be made in that a lot of very rich and wealthy people in the world's history have made their money in the real estate sector and he did quite well with it as well and uh it was going well for him until about the early 80s and that is a time when things began to catch up to him a little bit. And he was in invi- I'm sorry, he was indicted for violating a lot of trade sanctions that we had against Iran at the time. Like I said just a little bit ago, he was doing business with some dictators from, you know, Iran, you know, Fidel Castro, things like that. Well, we had, you know, following the late 70s after the Iran uh, hostage crisis, in you know in 1980. Following this time, we had trade embargoes against doing business with Iran, and you know he continued to do that and line his pockets with that, which it was illegal. He was living in Switzerland actually at this time, even though he you know was based in America. And at this time, his assets were frozen as he began to get on the radar again of federal law enforcement authorities. Now, one of these assets and one of these holdings that they froze was the holdings that he had in 20th Century Fox at the time, which was starting to really bloom and become a thing in the 80s i remember when the fox network came out when i was in high school i want to say it was probably like 1986 1987 somewhere in that area there and you know it was uh something new and they were able to launch out and try a lot of different shows that were considered risk a at the time that probably wouldn't have gotten a shot on the networks the major networks at the time abc nbc cbs uh one of those i remember of course was married with children you know starring ed O'Neill as al bundy you know that You know, now looking back on it, it it seems pretty tame compared to what's on TV now. But at the time, it was considered a little raunchy and, you know, off color and that thing. And probably wouldn't have gotten a shot on any of those other networks. But, you know, Fox and some of these other ones took a chance on that. And, you know, it became a major, major deal. And he sold his share, which he had to Rupert Murdoch, who would become the big cheese there at Fox. And he sold it for reportedly over $200 million, which, you know, in the 1980s, that's that's a pretty good chunk of change. And he also had strong ties to a lot of mafia bosses, particularly in the Russian mafia. Did business with a lot of very brutal thugs that were supposedly in the Russian mafia. So, you know, and that's, again, not the first that we've seen to do that. We've certainly covered some on here that have done business with you know, some ruthless thugs like, you know, mafia figures and things of that sort. So he certainly was, uh, you know, not alone in that category either. But all this crooked activity led him to being indicted eventually on a whopping 65 counts. Now, among these charges were tax evasion, wire fraud, racketeering, and even some trade embargo violations, which, you know, we mentioned that a little bit before, doing some business with uh, with Iran. And he was prosecuted by future New York Mayor Rudolph Giuliani. And, you know, we've talked about that on this podcast before, too. You know, Rudy Giuliani really made his bones in federal prosecution. You know, we've, he, we've talked to other people on this show recently that that were prosecuted by him uh and of course one of the famous ones we talked about last year leona helmsley in new york the queen of mean as she was known the real estate tycoon she was brought down by mr giuliani and of course like we said before what he's probably most famous for as a prosecutor was taking down a huge chunk of the mafia you know the big five families in new york by using the rico statute that had been developed uh, about a decade earlier or so and through that, he was able to greatly weaken a lot of the muscle that the mafia had at that time. And they've honestly never really fully recovered from that. Now, of course, they're still organized crime, and you know, they still have a lot of power and influence, but that weakened them greatly. Once that RiCO statute was able to really be used against them, it caused them to lose a lot of the muscle and things that they had. And, you know, it's rumored for a while they had a lot of things on uh, J. Edgar Hoover at the time, and he was able to, uh, you know, or he basically turned his head and pretended organized crime didn't exist. That's pretty much what he said in a nutshell. And they kind of flourished for a lot of years that he was head of uh, the FBI. Once he passed away, they were able to develop this RICO statute, and over time, once they really learned how to use it, the feds did, they were able to bring down a lot of... uh, Really bad offenders, and this is something to use. But he prosecuted a lot of white-collar criminals, as we've noted on here as well. And uh, he did bring the charges against Mr. Rich. Now, Mr. Rich quickly fled back to uh, he quickly fled back to Switzerland, and many of his business associates that were left behind here uh, did end up getting convicted on some various white-collar crimes. But uh, Mr. Rich did remain a fugitive there in Switzerland. And uh, it's one of those places that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of criminals go, a lot of white-collar criminals go to you know, avoid being extradited back here to the United States. You know, and uh, he's certainly not the first criminal of any type to hide out in Europe and other countries. You have the, you know, Roman Polanski, the famous uh, Hollywood director, has hidden in Europe, you know, for 40-something years now, you know, rather than face... Charges here in the United States of raping a 13-year-old girl, I believe it was. So, you know, he's certainly not the first rich and powerful person to flee to another country and hide out. And, again, that's what uh, money and power can do for you, and it did for him. He was able to flee to Switzerland. But, like I said, many of the people and many of the associates that he had behind were convicted of various white-collar crimes similar to what he was charged with. And he never actually did return to the US, supposedly even for his own daughter's funeral, which is, you know, quite amazing. But again, he knew the moment he did, he was going to be arrested and, you know, probably hauled off for a long period of time. So he never actually did return to the US, just uh, remained in Switzerland and traveled throughout Europe, supposedly had a few close calls and dodged uh, being apprehended a few times out there, but was always managed to uh, be able to stay a step or, ho- step or so ahead of justice. And, you know, like I said, money can buy a lot of things, and it can buy you out of a lot of trouble in our legal system, and it certainly bought Mr. Rich uh, some, you know, peace of mind in the legal system, because on January 20th, 2001, then-President Bill Clinton's last day in office, he issued a presidential full pardon of Mr. Rich. So, even though he had fled the country and been, you know, a fugitive for, you know, well over a decade or more, you know, probably going on too, uh, and, you know, had committed vast amounts of white-collar crimes, he was able to get a full pardon as if nothing ever happened. And not long after this pardon, it was quickly revealed that Denise Rich, his wife, had given over one million dollars to the democrat party which was the party of bill clinton and about a hundred thousand dollars to bill clinton's wife hillary to her new york senate campaign or the year before in two in the year 2000 so you know uh everybody knows pretty much what money can do and you know and what it can buy and you know it's very clear this bought him you know some undeserved freedom and uh It didn't end there. They also found out that the Riches had donated $450,000 to the Clinton Foundation, which they've been alleged to have laundered a lot of illegal money through over the years. But they nonetheless were investigated, but it was determined in the end no criminal activities had occurred, even though, you know, everybody knew this was simply, uh, you know, a bribery, I think, so to speak, for you know, for some freedom. So, again, just by having money and power and being able to buy his freedom, he was able to commit massive amounts of white-collar crimes, flee the country to Switzerland, bite his time out, pay off the right official, and bam, gets a full pardon as if none of that ever happened. That's the power that money can have. And there's plenty of people... Riding away poor people in prisons all over the country you know that have not committed anywhere near the crimes and harm this man did but because they don't have enough money to donate to the right people they go to jail and prison and have their freedom taken from them and everything else they have and yet this man by power and privilege was able to avoid all that simply by signing some checks and donating them to the right people and the right foundations. Now, supposedly Bill Clinton said he did regret this afterwards, and it did cause a lot of backlash, even in his own party. Uh, I believe it was former President Carter at the time even uh, criticized this move, and it certainly uh, you know, did come with criticism. And Bill Clinton said supposedly that this pardon was the result from a lot of political pressure, probably from other donors. Um, he said it was also from the Israeli government, Anti-Defamation League, uh, people that Mr. Rich himself had donated a lot of money to. In fact, he was known to have donated over 150 million dollars to Israeli causes, which they in turn lobbied on his behalf as well. So he had a lot of very powerful and and rich people lobbying on his behalf. But uh, again, Bill Clinton said, you know, he regretted this, and you know, again, the decision was him, despite the pressure from these various agencies and political organizations and whatnot the decision still was his to make and uh unfortunately he did make it and mr rich was able to uh you know get out of having any responsibility at all for what he had done and you know this didn't give bill clinton the best of exit i remember at the time there was a lot of controversy at this his last day i think he had some other pardons at the time that were a little controversial which i mean to be fair that that's going to almost always be the case. Anytime, you know, in my life, I've seen a president when they leave office, they do issue these pardons and the overwhelming majority of the time they're going to make somebody mad regardless. But, you know, it's just kind of an American tradition before a president leaves office, they donate this money and I mean, they, uh, they make these uh, pardons and whatnot. And, you know, some of them are justified. And then there's some that uh, some people see through and, you know, think that there's some shady backroom deals going on and of all the presidential pardons i've seen in my life this one i think is hands down probably the sleaziest and most corrupt that was uh that was ever done but they all got away with it and mr rich never did serve any time for anything he did he passed away i believe in about 2013 or something and uh you know was never charged or ever brought to any kind of justice and again it did tarnish uh bill clinton's legacy a little bit he uh, even the new york times which is normally probably favorable to him and you know people of his party they even said uh, that it was a shocking abuse of presidential power so for them to say that you know that was pretty bad and though like i said criminal activity was suspected uh clinton or no one else connected to this pardon was ever charged not his wife not denise rich you know anybody that was uh Involved, You know, anybody with the Anti-Defamation League or anybody that had pressured him from this, nobody was brought up on anything. So, again, money can buy a lot of things, and it can buy you a presidential pardon for some pretty serious white-collar crimes. And that's what this case really taught us, is you have enough money, and if you can donate that to the right people high enough up, in this case a president and a, you know, soon-to-be senator, you know, it can buy you a lot of things and get you out of a lot of trouble. That's the power and privilege money money has. Well, folks, we appreciate you tuning in for this one. Hope you can join us again on next Tuesday. Um, as I always say, if you've got any ideas for a show on any white-collar crime subjects, feel free to email me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com. Be sure and like our Facebook page, White Collar Crimes. And also, uh, you know, as I always say, if you're in need of any type of voiceover service or work or anything like that, you can feel free to contact me there or visit my uh, my website, ryan-horn.com. Always working on a couple audio books. Got another one I'm getting ready to finish up soon and one that's going to be out and published here shortly. Uh, got one that is now out now and completely published on the We Here app. So always be ready to check that out as too and like i always say you know watch out for your friends and family those that are being taken advantage of you know and be sure to keep tuning in help us continue to shine the light and expose the uh, rich and powerful and corrupt that don't always get the scrutiny they deserve certainly not like the common street criminals do so help us to keep that going as i always say watch out for each other and you know just be sure to uh Make sure, especially for the elderly, I always like to say that, that, you know, keep an eye on them because they often are the most victimized in our system. So, again, thank you so much for listening. Tune in next Tuesday, and we will see you then. God bless and take care, everybody.